Chapter Five, Part Two, of Mary Marie. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Lynn Thompson. Mary Marie by Eleanor H. Porter. Chapter Five, Part Two. Four days later, and what did the night bring forth? Yes, what did it bring? Verily, it brought forth one thing I thought nothing ever could have brought forth. It was like this. That night at the supper table, Aunt Jane cleared her throat in the I am determined I will speak kind of way that she always uses when she speaks to father. Aunt Jane doesn't talk to father much more than mother used to. Charles, she began. Father had an astronomy paper beside his plate and he was so busy reading he didn't hear, so Aunt Jane had to speak again, a little louder this time. Charles, I have something to say to you. Eh? What? Oh, uh, yes, well, Jane, what is it? Father was looking up with his I'll be patient if it kills me air, and with his forefinger down on his paper to keep his place. As if anybody would talk to a person who's simply tolerating you for a minute like that, with his forefinger holding on to what he wants to tend to, why, I actually found myself being sorry for Aunt Jane she cleared her throat again it is understood of course that mary is to go to school tomorrow morning i suppose she said why of course of course began father impatiently looking down at his paper of course she'll go to he stopped suddenly a complete change came over his face he grew red then white his eyes sort of flashed school he said then in a hard decided voice oh no mary is not going to school tomorrow morning he looked down at his paper and began to read again for him the subject was evidently closed, but for Aunt Jane it was not closed. "'You don't mean, Charles, that she is not to go to school at all, any more?' she gasped. "'Exactly,' father read on in his paper without looking up. "'But, Charles, to stop her school like this?' "'Why not? It closes in a week or two, anyway.' Aunt Jane's lips came together hard. "'That's not the question at all,' she said, cold like ice. Charles, I'm amazed at you, yielding to that child's whims like this, that she doesn't want to go to school. It's the principle of the thing that I'm objecting to. Do you realize what this will lead to? What it... Jane! With a jerk, father sat up straight. I realize some things that perhaps you do not, but that is neither here nor there. I do not wish Mary to go to school any more this spring. That is all, and I think it is sufficient. Certainly, Aunt Jane's lips came together again, grim and hard. Perhaps you will be good enough to say what she shall do with her time. Time? Do? Why, uh, what she always does. Read, sew, study. Study? Aunt Jane asked the question with a hateful little smile that father would have been blind not to have understood. And he was equal to it. But I most fell over backward when I found how equal to it he was. Certainly, he says, study. I'll, I'll hear her lessons myself, in the library, after I come home in the afternoon. Now let us hear no more about it. With that, he pushed back his plate, stuffed his astronomy paper into his pocket, and left the table without waiting for dessert, and Aunt Jane and I were left alone. I didn't say anything. Victors shouldn't boast, and I was a victor, of course, about the school. But when I thought of what Father said about my reciting my lessons to him every day in the library, I wasn't sure whether I'd won out or not. Recite lessons to my father? Why, I couldn't even imagine such a thing. Aunt Jane didn't say anything either. 
I guess she didn't know what to say, and it was kind of a queer situation when you came right down to it, both of us sitting there and knowing I wasn't going back to school any more, and I knowing why, and knowing Aunt Jane didn't know why. Of course, I hadn't told Aunt Jane about Mother and Mrs. Mayhew. It would be a funny world, wouldn't it, if we all knew what each other was thinking all the time. Why, we'd get so we wouldn't do anything but think, for there wouldn't any of us speak to each other, I'm afraid. We'd be so angry at what the other was thinking. Well, Aunt Jane and I didn't speak that night at the supper table. We finished in stern silence. Then Aunt Jane went upstairs to her room, and I went up to mine. You see what a perfectly wildly exciting life Mary is living? And when I think of how full of good times Mother wanted every minute to be. But that was for Marie, of course. The next morning, after breakfast, Aunt Jane said, You will spend your forenoon studying, Mary. See that you learn well your lessons, so as not to annoy your father. Yes, Aunt Jane, said Mary, polite and proper, and went upstairs obediently. But even Mary didn't know exactly how to study those lessons. Carrie had bought me all my books from school. I had asked her to, when I knew that I was not going back. There were the lessons that had been assigned for the next day, of course, and I supposed probably Father would want me to study those. But I couldn't imagine Father teaching me all alone. And how was I ever going to ask him questions if there were things I didn't understand? Besides, I couldn't imagine myself reciting lessons to Father. Father! But I needn't have worried. If I could only have known. Little did I think... But there, this is no way to tell a story. I read in a book, How to Write a Novel, that you mustn't anticipate. I thought folks always anticipated in novels. I do. I thought you wanted them to. Well, to go on. Father got home at four o'clock. I saw him come up the walk, and I waited till I was sure he'd got settled in the library. Then I went down. He wasn't there. A minute later, I saw him crossing the lawn to the observatory. Well, what to do, I didn't know. Mary said to go after him, but Marie said, Nay, nay, and in spite of being Mary just now, I let Marie have her way. Rush after him and tell him he'd forgotten to hear my lessons. Father, well, I guess not. Besides, it wasn't my fault. I was there already. It wasn't my blame that he wasn't there to hear me, but he might remember and come back. Well, if he did, I'd be there. So I went to one of those bookcases and pulled out a touch-me-not book from behind the glass door. Then I sat down and read till the supper bell rang. Father was five minutes late to supper. I don't know whether he looked at me or not. I didn't dare look at him, until Aunt Jane said, in her chilliest manner, I trust your daughter had good lessons, Charles. I had to look at him then. I just couldn't look anywhere else. So I was looking straight at him when he gave that funny little startled glance into my eyes, and into his eyes there crept the funniest, dearest little understanding twinkle, and I suddenly realized that Father, Father, was laughing with me at her little secret between us. But twas only for a second. The next moment his eyes were very grave and looking at Aunt Jane. I have no cause to complain of my daughter's lessons today, he said very quietly. Then he glanced over at me again. But I had to look away quick, or I would have laughed right out. When he got up from the table, he said to me, I shall expect to see you tomorrow in the library at four, Mary. And Mary answered, Yes, father, polite and proper, as she should. But Marie inside was just chuckling with the joke of it all. The next day I watched again at four for father to come up the walk, and when he had come in, I went down to the library. 
He was there in his pet seat before the fireplace. Father always sits before the fireplace, whether there's a fire there or not. And sometimes he looks so funny sitting there, staring into those grey ashes, just as if it was the liveliest kind of fire he was watching. As I said, he was there, but I had to speak twice before he looked up. Then, for a minute, he stared vaguely. Eh? Oh? Uh? Uh, yes, to be sure, he muttered then. You have come with your books. Yes, I remember. But there wasn't any twinkle in his eyes, nor the least bit of understanding smile, and I was disappointed. I had been looking for it. I knew then, when I felt so suddenly lost and heartachy, that I had been expecting and planning all day on that twinkly understanding smile. You know you feel worse when you've just found a father, and then lost him. And I had lost him. I knew it the minute he sighed and frowned, and got up from his seat and said, Oh, yes, to be sure. He was just Dr. Anderson then, the man who knew all about the stars, and who had been unmarried to mother, and who called me Mary, in an of course you're my daughter tone of voice. Well, he took my books and heard my lessons, and told me what I was to study next day. He'd done that two days now. Oh, I'm so tired of being Mary, and I've got more than four whole months of it left. And I didn't get mother's letter today. Maybe that's why I'm specially lonesome tonight. July 1st. School is done, both the regular school and my school. Not that my school has amounted to much. Really, it hasn't. Oh, for three or four days he asked questions quite like just a teacher. Then he got to talking. Sometimes it would be about something in the lessons. Sometimes it would be about a star or the moon. And he'd get so interested that I'd think for a minute that maybe the understanding twinkle would come into his eyes again. But it never did. Sometimes it wasn't stars and moons, though, that he talked about. It was Boston and Mother. Yes, he did. He talked a lot about Mother. As I look back at it now, I can see that he did. He asked me all over again what she did and about the parties and the folks that came to see her. He asked again about Mr. Harlow and about the concert and the young man who played the violin and what was his name and how old was he and did I like him. And then, right in the middle of some questions, or rather right in the middle of some answer I was giving him, he would suddenly remember he was hearing my lessons, and he would say, Come, come, Mary, what has this to do with your lessons? Just as if I was to blame. But then we women always get the blame, I notice. And then he'd attend strictly to the books for maybe five whole minutes, before he asked another question about that party, or the violinist. Naturally, the lessons haven't amounted to much, as you can imagine. But the term was nearly finished anyway, and my real school was in Boston, of course. It's vacation now. I do hope that will amount to something. August 1st. It hasn't so far. I mean vacation. Really, what a world of disappointment this is. How on earth I'm going to stand being Mary for three months more, I don't know. But I've got to, I suppose. I've been here May, June and July, and that leaves August, September and October yet to come. And when I think of Mother and Boston and Marie, and the darling good times down there where you're really wanted... I am simply crazy. If father wanted me, really wanted me, I wouldn't care a bit. I'd be willing to be Mary six whole months. Yes, I'd be glad to. But he doesn't. I'm just here by order of the court. And what can you do when you're nothing but a daughter by order of the court? Since the lessons have stopped, father's gone back to his good morning, Mary, and good night, and nothing else. Day in and day out. Lately he's got so he hangs around the house an awful lot too. 
so I can't even do the things I did the first of the month. I mean that I'd been playing some on the piano, along at the first after school closed. Aunt Jane was out in the garden a lot, and Father out to the observatory, so I just reveled in piano playing till I found almost every time I did it that he had come back and was in the library with the door open, so I didn't dare play now. And there isn't a blessed thing to do. Oh, I have to sew an hour, and now I have to weed an hour, too. And Aunt Jane tried to have me learn to cook, but Susie, in the kitchen, flatly refused to have me messing about. So Aunt Jane had to give that up. Susie's the one person Aunt Jane's afraid of, you see. She always threatens to leave if anything goes across her wishes. So Aunt Jane has to be careful. I heard her tell Mrs. Small next door that good hired girls were awfully scarce in Andersonville. As I said before, if only there was somebody here that wanted me, but there isn't. Of course father doesn't, that goes without saying, and Aunt Jane doesn't, that goes too without saying. Carrie Hayward has gone away for all summer, so I can't have even her, and of course I wouldn't associate with any of the other girls, even if they would associate with me, which they won't. That only leaves mother's letters. They are dear, and I love them. I don't know what I'd do without them, and yet sometimes I think maybe they're worse than if I didn't have them. They make me so homesick, and I always cry so after I get them. Still, I know I just couldn't live a minute if it wasn't for Mother's letters. Besides being so lonesome, there's another thing that worries me, too, and that is this. What I'm writing, I mean, the novel. It's getting awfully stupid. Nothing happens. Nothing! Of course, if twas just a story, I could make up things, lots of them, exciting, interesting things, like having Mother elope with the violinist, and Father shoot him and fall in love with Mother all over again, or else with somebody else, and shoot that one's lover, or maybe somebody'd try to shoot Father, and I'd get there just in time to save him. Oh, I'd love that. But this is a real story, so of course I can't put in anything, only just what happens, and nothing happens. And that's another thing. About the love story, I'm afraid there isn't going to be one. Anyway, there isn't a bit of a sign of one yet, unless it's Mother. And, of course, I haven't seen her for three months, so I can't say anything about that. Father hasn't got one, I'm sure of that. He doesn't like ladies, I know he doesn't. He always runs away from them. But they don't run away from him. Listen. As I said before, quite a lot of them call here to see Aunt Jane. And they come lots of times, evenings and late afternoons and I know now why they do it. They come because they think Father'll be at home at that time, and they want to see him. I know it now, but I never thought of it till the other day when I heard our hired girl, Susie, talking about it with Bridget, the small hired girl, over the fence when I was weeding the garden one day. Then I knew. It was like this. Mrs. Darling had been over the night before, as usual, and had stayed an awfully long time talking to Aunt Joan on the front piazza, father had been there too a while she stopped him on his way into the house i was there and i heard her she said oh mr anderson i'm so glad i saw you i wanted to ask your advice about selling poor dear mr darling's law library and then she went on to tell him how she'd had an offer but she wasn't sure whether it was a good one or not and she told him how highly she prized his opinion and he was a man of such splendid judgment, and she felt so alone now with no strong man's shoulder to lean upon, and she would be so much obliged if he only would tell her whether he considered that offer a good one or not. Father hitched and hummed and moved nearer the door all the time she was talking, and he didn't seem to hear her 
when she pushed a chair toward him and asked him to please sit down and tell her what to do that she was so alone in the world since poor dear mr darling had gone she always calls him poor dear mr darling now but susie said she didn't when he was alive she called him something quite different i wonder what it was well as i said father hitched and fidgeted and said he didn't know he was sure that she'd better ask wider counsel than his and that he was very sorry but she really must excuse him and he got through the door while he was talking just as fast as he could himself so that she couldn't get in a single word to keep him then he was gone mrs darling stayed on the piazza two whole hours longer but father never came out at all again it was the next morning that susie said this over the backyard fence to bridget it does beat all how popular this house is with the ladies after college hours and bridget chuckled and answered back sure it is and i do be thinking the widow darlin is a heap fonder of miss jane now than she would have been had poor dear mr darlin lived and she chuckled again and so did susie and then all of a sudden i knew it was father all those ladies wanted it was father mrs darling wanted they came here to see him they wanted to marry him they were the prospective suitors as if i didn't know what susie and bridget meant i'm no child but all this doesn't make father like them i'm not sure but it makes him dislike them anyhow he won't have anything to do with them he always runs away over to the observatory or somewhere and won't see them and i've heard him say things about them to aunt jane too words that sound all right but that don't mean what they say and everybody knows they don't so as i said before i don't see any chance of father having a love story to help out with this book not right away anyhow as for my love story i don't see any chance of that beginning either yet seems as if there ought to be the beginning of it by this time i'm going on fifteen oh there have been beginnings lots of them only aunt jane wouldn't let them go on and be endings though i told her good and plain that i thought it perfectly all right and i reminded her about the brook and river meeting where i stood and all that but i couldn't make her see it at all she said stuff and nonsense and when aunt jane says both stuff and nonsense i know there's nothing doing oh dear that's slang aunt jane says she does wish i would eliminate the slang from my vocabulary well i wish she'd eliminate some of the long words from hers marie said that not mary well aunt jane said stuff and nonsense and that i was much too young to run around with silly boys you see charlie smith had walked home from school with me twice but i had to stop that and fred small was getting so he was over here a lot aunt jane stopped him paul mayhew yes paul mayhew stella's brother came home with me too and asked me to go with him auto riding my how i did want to go i wanted the ride of course but especially i wanted to go because he was mrs mayhew's son i just wanted to show mrs mayhew but aunt jane wouldn't let me that's the time she talked specially about running around with silly boys but she needn't have paul is no silly boy he's old enough to get a license to drive his own car but it wasn't just because he was young that aunt jane refused i found out afterwards it was because he was any kind of man paying me attention i found that out through mr claude livingstone mr livingstone brings our groceries he's a real young gentleman tall black moustache with lovely dark eyes he goes to our church and he asked me to go to the sunday school picnic with him i was so pleased 
and I supposed, of course, Aunt Jane would let me go with him. He is no silly boy. Besides, I knew him real well and liked him. I used to talk to him quite a lot when he brought the groceries. But did Aunt Jane let me go? She did not. Why, she seemed almost more shocked than she had been over Charlie Smith and Fred Small and the others. Mercy, child, she exclaimed. Where in the world do you pick up these people? And she brought out that these people so disagreeably. Why, you'd think Mr. Livingstone was a foreign Japanese or something. I told her then, quietly and with dignity and with no temper showing, that Mr. Livingstone was not a foreign Japanese, but was a very nice gentleman, and that I had not picked him up. He came to her own door himself almost every day. My own door? exclaimed Aunt Jane, and she looked absolutely frightened. You mean to tell me that creature has been coming here to see you, and I not know it? I told her then, again quietly and with dignity and without temper, showing, that he had been coming not to see me, but in natural pursuance of his profession of delivering groceries. And I said that he was not a creature. On the contrary, he was, I was sure, an estimable young man. He went to her own church and Sunday school. Besides, I could vouch for him myself as I knew him well, having seen and talked with him almost every day for a long while when he came to the house. But nothing I could say seemed to have the least effect upon her at all only to make her angrier and angrier, if anything. In fact, I think she showed a great deal of temper for a Christian woman about a fellow Christian in her own church. But she wouldn't let me go to the picnic. And not only that, but I think she changed grocers, for Mr. Livingstone hasn't been here for a long time. And when I asked Susie where he was, she looked funny, and said we weren't getting our groceries where Mr. Livingstone worked any longer. Well, of course, that ended that. And there hasn't been any other since. That's why I say my love story doesn't seem to be getting along very well. Naturally, when it gets noised around town that your Aunt Jane won't let you go anywhere with a young man, or let a young man come to see you, or even walk home with you after the first time, why, the young men aren't going to do very much toward making your daily life into a love story. Two weeks later. A queer thing happened last night. It was like this. I think I said before what an awfully stupid time Mary is having of it, and how I couldn't play now or make any noise because Father has taken to hanging around the house so much. Well, listen to what happened. Yesterday, Aunt Jane went to spend the day with her best friend. She said for me not to leave the house, as some member of the family should be there. She told me to sew an hour, weed an hour, dust the house downstairs and upstairs, and read some improving book an hour. The rest of the time I might amuse myself amuse myself a jolly time i could have all by myself even father wasn't to be home for dinner so i wouldn't have that excitement he was out of town and was not coming home till six o'clock it was an awfully hot day the sun just beat down and there wasn't a breath of air by noon i was simply crazy with my stuffy long-sleeved high-necked blue gingham dress and my great clumpy shoes it seemed all of a sudden as if i couldn't stand it not another minute not a single minute more, to be Mary, I mean, and suddenly I determined that for a while, just for a little while, I'd be Marie again. Why couldn't I? There wasn't anybody going to be there but just myself all day long. I ran then upstairs to the guest-room closet, where Aunt Jane had made me put all my Marie dresses and things when the Mary ones came. Well, I got out the very fluffiest, softest white dress there was there, and the little white slippers and the silk stockings that I loved, 
and the blue silk sash and the little gold locket and chain that mother gave me that aunt jane wouldn't let me wear and i dressed up my didn't i dress up i just threw those old heavy shoes and black cotton stockings into the corner and the blue gingham dress after them though mary went right away and picked up the dress and hung it in the closet of course but i had the fun of throwing it anyway oh how good those marie things did feel to mary's hot tired flesh and bones and how i did dance and sing around the room in those light little slippers then susie rang the dinner bell and they went down to the dining room feeling like a really truly young lady i can tell you susie stared of course and said my how fine we are today but i didn't mind susie after dinner i went out into the hall and i sang i sang all over the house and i ran upstairs and i ran down and i jumped all the last three steps even if it was so warm then i went into the parlor and played every lively thing i could think of on the piano and i sang there too silly little songs that marie used to sing to lester and i tried to think i was really down there in boston singing to lester and that mother was right in the next room waiting for me then i stopped and turned around on the piano stool and there was the coffin plate and the wax cross and the hair wreath and the room was just as still as death and i knew i wasn't in boston i was here in andersonville and there wasn't any baby lester there nor any mother waiting for me in the next room and all the fluffy white dresses and silk stockings in the world wouldn't make me marie i was really just mary and i had got to have three whole months more of it and then is when i began to cry and i cried just as hard as i'd been singing a minute before i was on the floor with my head in my arms on the piano stool when father's voice came to me from the doorway mary mary what in the world does this mean i jumped up and stood at attention the way you have to of course when fathers speak to you i couldn't help showing i had been crying he had seen it but i tried very hard to stop now my first thought after my startled realization that he was there was to wonder how long he had been there how much of all that awful singing and banging he had heard yes sir i tried not to have my voice shake as i said it but i couldn't quite help that what is the meaning of this mary why are you crying i shook my head i didn't want to tell him of course so i just stammered out something about being sorry i had disturbed him then i edged toward the door to show him that if he would step one side i would go away at once and not bother him any longer but he didn't step to one side he asked more questions one right after another are you sick mary i shook my head did you hurt yourself i shook my head again it isn't your mother you haven't had bad news from her and then i blurted it out without thinking without thinking at all what i was saying no no but i wish i had i wish i had cause then i could go to her to go away from here the minute i'd said it i knew what i'd said and how awful it sounded and i clapped my fingers to my lips but twas too late it's always too late when you've once said it so i just waited for him to thunder out his anger for of course i thought he would thunder in rage and righteous indignation but he didn't instead he quietly and gently said are you so unhappy then mary here and i looked at him and his eyes and his mouth and his whole face weren't angry at all they were just sorry actually sorry and somehow before i knew it i was crying again and father with his arms around me with his arms around me think of that was leading me to the sofa 
and I cried and cried there with my head on the arm of the sofa till I'd made a big tear spot in the linen cover, and I wondered if it would dry up before Aunt Jane saw it, or if it would change colour or leak through the red plush underneath, or some other dreadful thing. And then, some way, I found myself telling it all over to Father. About Mary and Marie, I mean, just as if he was Mother, or someone I loved, I mean, someone I loved and wasn't afraid of. For of course I loved Father, of course I do. Well, I told him everything. When I got started, there was no stopping. All about how hard it was to be Mary, and how today I had tried to be Marie for just a little while to rest me. He interrupted here, and wanted to know if that was why I looked so different today, more as I had when I first came. And I said yes, that these were Marie things that Mary couldn't wear. And when he asked, why, pray, in an almost cross voice, I told him, of course, that Aunt Jane wouldn't let me, that Mary had to wear brown serge and calfskin boots that were durable and that would wear well. And when I told him how sorry I was about the music and such a noise as I'd been making, he asked if that was Marie's fault too, and I said yes, of course, that Aunt Jane didn't like to have Mary play at all, except hymns and funeral marches, and Mary didn't know any. And he grunted a queer little grunt and said, Well, well, upon my soul, upon my soul. Then he said, Go on. And I did go on. I told him how I was afraid it was going to be just like Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde. I forgot to say I've read it now. I found it in Father's library. Of course, not just like it. Only one of me was going to be bad and one good. I was afraid if I didn't look out. I told him how Marie always wanted to kick up rugs and move the chairs out of their sockets in the carpet and leave books around handy and such things. And so today it seemed as if I just had to have a vacation from Mary's hot gingham dresses and clumpy shoes. And I told him how lonesome I was without anybody, not anybody. And I told him about Charlie Smith and Paul Mayhew and Mr. Claude Livingstone and how Aunt Jane wouldn't let me have them here either, even if I was standing where the brook and river meet. Father gave another funny little grunt here and got up suddenly and walked over to the window. I thought at first he was angry, but he wasn't. He was even more gentle when he came back and sat down again, and he seemed interested, very much interested, in everything I told him. But I stopped just in time from saying again how I wished I could go back to Boston, but I'm not sure but he knew I was going to say it. But he was very nice and kind and told me not to worry about the music, that he didn't mind it at all. He'd been in several times and heard it, and I thought almost, by the way he spoke, that he'd come in on purpose to hear it, but I guess that was a mistake. He just put it that way, so I wouldn't worry over it. About its bothering him, I mean. He was going to say more, maybe, but I don't know. I had to run. I heard Aunt Jane's voice on the piazza saying goodbye to the lady that had brought her home, so of course I had to run and hang Marie in the closet and get out Mary from the corner before she saw me, and I did. By dinner time, I had on the gingham dress and the hot, clumpy shoes again, and I had washed my face in cold water, so I had got most of the tear spots off. I didn't want Aunt Jane to see them and ask questions, of course, and I guess she didn't. Anyway, she didn't say anything. Father didn't say anything either, but he acted queer. Aunt Jane tried to tell him something about the missionary meeting, and the heathen, and the great famine that was raging. At first he didn't say anything, and then he said, Oh, yes, to be sure. How very interesting. And he was glad, very glad. Aunt Jane was so disgusted and accused him of being even more absent-minded than usual, 
which was entirely unnecessary, she said. But even that didn't move Father a mite. He just said, yes, yes, very likely, and went on scowling to himself and stirring his coffee after he'd drunk it all up. I mean, stirring where it had been in the cup. I didn't know, but after supper he'd speak to me and ask me to come to the library. I hoped he would. There were lots more things I'd like to have said to him. But he didn't. He never said a word. He just kept scowling and got up from the table and went off by himself. But he didn't go to the observatory, as he most generally does. He went into the library and shut the door. He was there when the telephone message came at eight o'clock. And what do you think? He'd forgotten he was going to speak before the College Astronomy Club that evening. Forgotten his old stars for once. I don't know why. I did think for a minute twas because of me, what I told him. But I knew, of course, right away that it couldn't be that. He'd never forget his stars for me. Probably he was just reading up about some other stars, or had forgotten how late it was or something. Father's always forgetting things. But anyway, when Aunt Jane called him, he got his hat and hurried off without so much as one word to me, who was standing near, or to Aunt Jane, who was following him all through the hall, and telling him in her most I'm-amazed-at-you voice how shockingly absent-minded he was getting to be. One week later. Father's been awfully queer this whole week through. I can't make him out at all. Sometimes I think he's glad I told him all those things in the parlour that day when I dressed up in Marie's things, and sometimes I think he's sorry and wished I hadn't. The very next morning he came down to breakfast with such a funny look on his face. He said good morning to me three times, and all through breakfast he kept looking over at me with a kind of scowl that was not cross at all, just puzzled. After breakfast he didn't go out to the observatory, not even into the library. He fidgeted around the dining-room till Aunt Jane went out into the kitchen to give her orders to Susie. Then he burst out all of a sudden, "'Well, Mary, what shall we do today?' "'Just like that,' he said it, as if we'd been doing things together every day of our lives. "'The do?' I asked, and I know I showed how surprised I was by the way I stammered and flushed up. "'Certainly, do,' he answered, impatient and scowling. "'What shall we do?' "'Why, Father, I—I I don't know.' I stammered again. Come, come, of course you know, he cried. You know what you want to do, don't you? I shook my head. I was so astonished I couldn't even think. And when you can't think, you certainly can't talk. Nonsense, Mary, scowled father again. Of course you know what you want to do. What are you in the habit of doing with your young friends, your Carries and Charlies and all the rest? I guess I just stood and stared and didn't say anything. For after a minute he cried, Well, 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 I'm waiting. Why, we, we walk and talk and play games, I began, but right away he interrupted. Good. Very well, then. We'll walk. I'm not Carrie or Charlie, but I believe I can walk and talk. Perhaps even play games. Who knows? Come, get your hat. And I got my hat, and we went. But what a funny, funny walk that was. He meant to make it a good one. I know he did. And he tried. He tried real hard. But he walked so fast I couldn't half keep up with him. Then, when he saw how I was hurrying, he'd slow down, way down, and look so worried till he'd forget and go striding off again, way ahead of me. He went up on the hill through the Benton Woods, and it was perfectly lovely up there. He didn't say much at first. Then, all of a sudden, he began to talk about anything and everything, and I knew, by the way he did it, that he'd just happened to think he'd got to talk. And how he talked! 
he asked me was i warmly clad and here it is august and did i have a good breakfast and how old was i and did i enjoy my studies which shows how little he was really thinking what he was saying he knows school closed ages ago wasn't he teaching me himself the last bit of it too all around us were flowers and birds and oh so many lovely things but he never said a word about them he just talked because he'd got to talk i knew it and it made me laugh inside though all the while it made me sort of want to cry too funny wasn't it after a while he didn't talk any more but just walked on and on and by and by we came home of course it wasn't awfully jolly that walk wasn't and i guess father didn't think it was either anyhow he hasn't asked me to go again this week and he looked tired and worried and sort of discouraged when he got back from that one but he's asked me to do other things the next day after the walk he asked me to play to him yes he asked me to and he went into the parlor and sat down on one of the chairs and listened while i played three pieces of course i didn't play loud ones nor very fast ones and i was so scared i'm afraid i didn't play them very well but he was very polite and said thank you mary and that was very nice then he stood up and said thank you again and went away into the library very polite but stiff like company the next evening he took me out to the observatory to see the stars that was lovely honestly i had a perfectly beautiful time and i think father did too he wasn't stiff and polite one bit oh i don't mean that he was impolite or rude it's just that he wasn't stiff as if i was company and he was so happy with his stars and his telescope and so glad to show them to me oh i had a beautiful time and i told him so and he looked real pleased but aunt jane came for me before i'd had half enough and i had to go to bed the next morning i thought he'd be different somehow because we'd had such a lovely time together the night before but he wasn't he just said good morning mary and began to read his paper and he read his paper all through breakfast without saying another word to me then he got up and went into the library and i never saw him again all day except at dinner time and supper time and then he didn't talk to me but after supper he took me out again to see the stars and he was just as nice and friendly as could be not a bit like a man that's only a father by order of the court but the next day well and that's the way it's been all the week and that's why i say he's been so queer one minute he'll be just as nice and folksy as you could ask anybody to be and the very next he's looking right through you as if he didn't see you at all and you wonder and wonder what's the matter and if you've done anything to displease him sometimes he seems almost glad and happy and then he'll look so sorry and sad i just can't understand my father at all another week later i'm so excited i don't know what to do the most wonderful thing has happened i can't hardly believe it yet myself yet it's so my trunk is all packed and i'm to go home tomorrow tomorrow this is the way it happened mother wrote aunt jane and asked if i might not be allowed to come home for the opening of school in september she said she understood quite well that she had no right to ask this and of course if they saw fit they were entirely within their rights to refuse to allow me to go until the allotted time but that she could not help asking it for my sake on account of the benefit to be derived from being there at the opening of the school year of course i didn't know mother was going to write this but she knew all about the school here and how i came out and everything i've always told mother everything that happened 
Oh, of course, I haven't written every few minutes as she asked me to. That was a joke anyway, of course. But I have written every few days, and as I said before, I told her everything. Well, the letter came, and I took it to Aunt Jane myself, and I was crazy to know what was in it, for I recognized the writing, of course. But Aunt Jane didn't tell me. She opened it, read it, kind of flushed up and said, Hoo! The idea! under her breath, and put the letter in her pocket. Marie wanted to make a scene and insist on knowing what was in her own mother's letter, but Mary contented herself with looking superb and haughty and disdainful, and marching out of the room without giving Aunt Jane the satisfaction of even being asked what was in that letter. But at the table that noon, Aunt Jane read it to Father out loud, so that's how I came to know just what was in it. She started first to hand it over to him to read, but as he put out his hand to take it, I guess he saw the handwriting, for he drew back quickly, looking red and queer. "'From Mrs. Anderson to you?' he asked, and when Aunt Jane nodded her head, he sat still farther back in his chair and said, with a little wave of his hand, "'I never care to read other people's letters.' Aunt Jane said, "'Stuff and nonsense, Charles, don't be silly,' and she pulled back the letter and read it, after giving a kind of uneasy glance in my direction." father never looked up once while she was reading it he kept his eyes on his plate and the baked beans he was eating i watched him you see i knew by aunt jane's reading the letter to him that it was something he had got to decide and when i found out what it was of course i was just crazy i wanted to go so so i watched father's face to see if he was going to let me go but i couldn't make it out i couldn't make it out at all it changed oh yes it changed a great deal as she read but I couldn't make out what kind of a change it was at all. Aunt Jane finished the letter and began to fold it up. I could see she was waiting for Father to speak, but he never said a word. He kept right on, eating beans. Then Aunt Jane cleared her throat and spoke. You will not let her go, of course, Charles, but naturally I had to read the letter to you. I will write to Mrs. Anderson tonight. Father looked up then. Yes, he said quietly. And you may tell her, please, that Mary will go. Charles Aunt Jane said that but I I almost ran around the table and hugged him Oh, how I wish he was a kind of father you could do that to Charles said Aunt Jane again surely you aren't going to give in so tamely as this to that child and her mother I'm not giving in at all Jane said father very quietly again. I am consulting my own wishes on the matter I prefer to have her go I most cried out then some way it hurt to have him say it like that right out that he wanted me to go you see i'd begun to think he was getting so he didn't mind so very much having me there all the last two weeks he'd been different really different but more of that anon i'll go on with what happened at the table and as i said i did feel bad to have him speak like that and i can remember now just how the lump came right up in my throat then aunt jane spoke stiff and dignified Oh, very well, of course, if you put it that way. I can quite well understand that you would want her to go, for your sake. But I thought that, under the circumstances, you would manage somehow to put up with the noise and— Jane! Just like that, he interrupted. And he thundered so that Aunt Jane actually jumped. And I guess I did, too. He had sprung to his feet. Jane, let us close this matter once and for all. I am not letting the child go for my sake. I am letting her go for her own. So far as I am concerned, if I consulted no one's wishes but my own, I should keep her here always. 
With that, he turned and strode from the room, leaving Aunt Jane and me just staring after him. But only for a minute did I stare. It came to me then what he had said, that he would like to keep me here always. For I had heard it, even if he had said the last word very low, and in a queer, indistinct voice. I was sure I had heard it. And I suddenly realized what it meant. So I ran after him, and that time, if I had found him, I think I would have hugged him. But I didn't find him. He must have gone quite away from the house. He wasn't even out to the observatory. I went out to see. He didn't come in all afternoon. I watched for that, too. And when he did come, well, I wouldn't have dared hug him then. He had his very sternest, I am not thinking of you at all, air, and he just came into supper and then went into the library without saying hardly anything. Yet some way the look on his face made me cry. I don't know why. The next day he was more as he had been since we had the talk in the parlour. And he has been different since then, you know. He really has. He has talked quite a lot with me, as I have said. And I think he's been trying, part of the time, to find something I'll be interested in. Honestly, I think he's been trying to make up for Carrie Hayward and Stella Mayhew and Charlie Smith and Mr. Livingstone. I think that's why he took me to walk that day in the woods, and why he took me out to the observatory to see the stars quite a number of times. Twice he's asked me to play to him, and once he asked me if Mary wasn't about to dress up in Marie's clothes again. But he was joking then, I knew, for Aunt Jane was right there in the house. Besides, I saw the twinkle in his eyes that I'd seen there once or twice before. I just love that twinkle in Father's eyes. But that hasn't come any since Mother's letter to Aunt Jane arrived. He's been the same in one way, yet different in another. Honestly, if it didn't seem too wildly absurd for anything, I should say he was actually sorry to have me go. But of course that isn't possible. Oh yes, I know he said that day at the dinner table that he should like to keep me always, but I don't think he really meant it. He hasn't acted a mite like that since, and I guess he just said it to hush up Aunt Jane and make her stop arguing the matter. Anyway, I'm going tomorrow, and I'm so excited I can hardly breathe. End of chapter 5 Part 2